Hi, I'm Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And I'm Sarah Hart Unger, a mother of three, practicing physician, writer, and course creator. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. On the Best of Both Worlds podcast each week, we share stories of how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Listen to Best of Both Worlds every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it! That's really it! And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) As a high school student. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like (laughs) Change.Dork. Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations. You plagues yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. Uh, We are joined, as always, with our super producer, uh, Tyler, by the book, Clang, his nickname here because he doesn't take shortcuts and uh, he follows the letter and the spirit of the law. He's on the straight and narrow. He's on the straight and narrow. You know what? He's in the crosswalk of life. Oh, hey, not bad. <laughs> Which, I don't know, it's not It's not our best work. Uh, Scott. That's not bad. Thank you, Scott. I have to ask you. You know, you're, you're a pretty well-traveled guy. Yeah, sure. You've been to a lot of places. Well, you too. Well, thank you. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Both of us. Uh, We've we've been around, right? Oh yeah. Uh, we haven't been everywhere, but we've been to several places. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's fair to say. And I want to ask you: Do you feel like um, when you travel to a different city, do you feel that you behave in a different way as a pedestrian? You know, like if you're walking around downtown Atlanta versus walking around, say, downtown Manhattan or uh, a foreign city. I know where you're going with this, but you know what it feels like to me, though? I I think I feel like I'm one of the few that adheres still to the uh, the more American standard of crossing at the crosswalks, at at crossing at the corners, and in always like that perpendicular place you're supposed to right at the light. Mm-hmm. I'm not one to uh, to just wander off, but uh, but I I mean I, I understand what you're saying because a lot of times when you're in another country, another place, different uh, different location from what you're accustomed to, it can feel a little bit chaotic when you're out on a street, a city street. Uh, do you how do you, how do you behave? You you behave in the way that the locals do, whatever they do, you do. Uh, I feel like you have to earn that. To be honest with you, Mm -hmm. when I first arrive at a city, I try to be very by the book, right? Mm -hmm. You have to observe and learn. But if I'm somewhere for several days, eventually I will just 
adapt a when in Rome kind of approach to things. Mm-hmm. You know, with sure. the old saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. So give me like two days in New York probably – and then I'm just walking willy-nilly because, I, I, you know, the Big Apple's infected me at that point, and I got places to be. Well, but you know what? Here's the different thing. is I, I mean, okay, that's got its own dangers, right? I mean, it's a sure. busy, busy city. Yeah. But let's say you go to Thailand or someplace like that or somewhere in Spain like Barcelona, mm-hmm. and they've got uh, a lot of moped, motorcycle, mm-hmm. you know, mini bike traffic on the road as well. You're not necessarily looking for that type of thing when you step off the curb, and that can be very, very dangerous. True. Despite their small appearance and somewhat under powered engines, those things still can create serious accidents. Today, we're talking about uh, being a pedestrian, driving around pedestrians, crosswalks, and uh, the the rules of crosswalking. Yeah, I promise our listeners, this is going to be a lot more exciting than you think it might be up front here. This, this is, is this so is, weird. It's an interesting story. It's one that Ben brought to me. And said, hey, we, we need to cover this. And, and it's really a well-done article that we're going to follow along with today. Mm-hmm. This isn't our own research here. This is from somebody else. But uh, but it's fascinating. And it plays right into exactly what we talk about here on the show. And that's anything and everything automotive, really. Yeah. And I appreciate you putting out that, uh, put it, putting out that advance notice, Scott, because, you know, the idea of jaywalking or something, it's kind of like insurance. And it doesn't sound like it might be that interesting in the beginning, mm-hmm. right? No. But as it turns out, even just uh, about a hundred years ago, if you and I and Tyler and you listeners were pedestrians and we wanted to cross the street, we just went. There were no rules. Well, chances are you were already in the street. Honestly, I mm-hmm. mean, take a look. Here's this is what I found really fascinating about this, and I hadn't really thought about this before this until until I read this article. But uh, if you take a look at photographs, you know, you go to Getty Images or someplace like that, or even just a Google search, and you search, you know, pre nineteen twenty city streets or mm-hmm. just city streets nineteen. 19- 15, something like that. You're going to find – make sure it's a city street, though, that you look up. Right. You're going to find an atmosphere that looks a lot like a, uh, a street carnival, something that's happened – like a street fair where mm-hmm. there's vendor carts, there's horse and buggies, there's um, uh, children playing in the streets, there's people selling flowers. I mean, they're in the streets, though. They're not on the sidewalks. The, the sidewalks were for pe- people passing. There was maybe one aisle in the middle of it that was left open for pedestrian travel as well in the streets. But there's no cars. People are just hanging out. Now, cars were around, of course. I mean, they had, you know, been created, I guess. Right. They existed. 15, 20 years prior to that. But until about 1920, you know, right right around then, around 1920, that's when uh, cars really started to make a move into the city with, uh, you know, a lot of people who were wealthy could afford them and were, um, well, gosh, by 1920, people who weren't all that wealthy could even afford them. They were starting to become more affordable thanks to uh, good old Henry Ford. Right. But – you know, it was a, it was a different scene altogether. I guess the, the streets were for people, pedestrian traffic, mm-hmm. not car traffic. Yeah, and it's a very interesting, dare I say, fascinating change, right? Because it's a, one thing we find whenever we look at the history of something on car stuff, whether it's the origin story of Honda or whether it's the the rise and fall of Tucker. What we find is that. It is stunning and baffling 
how quickly the weirdest things become normal to everyone. Sure. You know? Like, think about uh, neckties, man. That's weird. That is weird. No one ever talks about that. No, but it was uh, like an overnight thing, right? <laughs> you know, I did a, I did an <laughs> I don't really know. I'm just guessing. Yeah, I did an episode on it uh, for a our everyday science show, Brain Stuff, and the closest we can trace is that it used to be – the. Again, folks, this is relatively speculative, but the closest explanation we can trace for the uh, existence of neckties, which don't really do anything if you think about it, uh, is – it goes back to uh, military scarves worn by I want to say Eastern – an Eastern European military, but I will check and get back to you. Is that right? I had a, uh, a great uncle that wore a string tie. Yeah. Remember those with the uh, – like you know, they always have like a – some type of uh, – a, a, Like clasp? Yeah, like a clasp in the middle. But it was just a string tie. Uh, he was a bolo. A, yeah, he was a, he was a cool guy. He was an old mechanic a uh, long, long time ago. This guy this was a guy who was born in uh, – he was old when I was young. He uh-huh. was born in like the 1880s or something. And I, so when I knew him, he was you know up there. Oh, 1890s, I guess. I'm sorry. Uh, so when I – Knew him in the seventies. You know, he was already in, in his eighties, and uh, he had just had a, a unique style to him. He's a cool guy. Still rocking that bolo. Yeah, huh? it was Michael Charlie. Yeah, yeah. Strange. Michael Charlie. No, no, my uncle Charlie. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and my aunt Fanny. That was her name, Fanny. So that, you know, a couple of names. You know, you probably don't hear all that often anymore. That's but, true. Um, so, anyways, off of bow ties and, uh, and neckties, but right, and onto onto the streets. Uh, there is an evolution that occurred very recently in the way that. Uh, not just U.S. cities, but cities around the world treat their streets and their pedestrians and their drivers. Uh, you know, this is still a time where in an average small town in America, it's probably more common to see horses and carriages than it is to see a uh, – <laughs> I'm not going to use the pejorative phrase yet, but to see a car. <laughs> so – how does this how does this change happen, Scott? Well, Ben, you know, I think we first have to talk about is maybe the the crime of jaywalking, really. I mean, when did it actually become a crime? I mean, and how? Right. Yeah. How did it become a crime? Because that's probably the most fascinating part about, about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, right now, I guess, if you want to take just one city into consideration, which mentioned in this article, mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, police give out tens of thousands of tickets Per year, every single year for jaywalking, some of these fines are up to $250 a piece. I had no idea that they were even ticketing people for jaywalking anymore. Right. It feels like one of those laws that's kind of hard to enforce. I, I never see it enforced. I don't, I don't think I do. Cause Maybe. we're not in LA, man, but apparently, according to the, uh, LA downtown news, you don't need to be crossing a red light to receive this jaywalking citation. You can just step off the curb while the countdown clock is still ticking. Oh, okay. Well, that's maybe it then, is that people are trying to, you know, to leave early, maybe? Yeah. Trying to go across early? Follow the signs anyways. That's probably your best rule of action, I guess, on something like that. So the the, the thing about this is, though, you know, we think, well, how did, how did a crime like that come about? Like, why is it a crime to cross the street anywhere else other than the crosswalk? Well, it's actually the result of a very aggressive and forgotten 1920s campaign that was led by auto groups and manufacturers that redefined who owned the city streets. Right? That sounds crazy. It's a literal uh, turf war yeah. of sorts. So there's a, an historian at the University of Virginia named Peter Norton, and he points out that in the early days of the automobile, it was the driver's job to avoid you, not your job to avoid them. 
But under the new model, streets became a place for cars, and as a pedestrian, it became your fault if you got hit. Okay, now I always heard that the pedestrians have the right away, right? In, but I guess not in a jaywalking situation. Yeah, I've heard in uh, larger cities, at least the majority of pedestrians in, say, San Francisco and New York feel that they always have right of way. Also, <laughs> France. It seems that way. Yeah, but, you know, I know in, in parking lots. Mm-hmm. Um, at crosswalks, of course. Sure. And, uh, I would, I'm trying to think of where else. I mean, <laughs> sidewalks, of course. <laughs> but, uh, pedestrians have, uh, have right away, um, unless they're stepping in, uh, out from between two cars on the street in a normal, you know, in a, in a normal traffic lane, mm-hmm. I suppose. Or I don't know how better to say that. If you're, if you're crossing where you're not supposed to be crossing at a time right. you're not supposed to be crossing, then it's your fault. The pedestrian. Yeah. And so this, this concept – now, Norton is not just some guy waxing philosophical. He is the author of a book called Fighting Traffic, The Dawn of the Motor Age in the American City. And he traces this shift from pedestrians only in the street, the way they did before the 1920s, uh, to the world in which we live now where you know cars, trucks, motor transit – runs the streets. He traces it to a couple of factors, but the primary factor is the creation of jaywalking as a crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you have to go back to the way that the streets used to be concerned or considered a public space. You know, it was a place where, as we said, uh, pedestrians, push carts, vendors, horse-drawn vehicles, street cars, children playing, things like that. Mm-hmm. That was not all that uncommon to see. And you could see that in any of the photos that you look up. I'm sure, well, hopefully somebody has done that already and, and validated what we've said. It looks really true. cool. It, it does look like a lot of fun, I mean, but, it, but it looks like a street that is, is closed off to traffic, but that's not the case. We do see some, uh, you know, horse horse and buggies, some uh, some horse, horse-drawn wagons, I guess, maybe, yeah. which are probably delivering goods to the different stores on the street that we're looking at here in this article. But it's not an uncommon street scene all across the United States, all across the world, really, at this particular time, you know, pre-1920. Um, but, you know, during the 1910s, uh, you know, I guess the, all the 1910s and teens, uh, there were uh, very few crosswalks that were painted on city streets. It just wasn't something that was necessary because of the type of situation you're seeing in those photographs. It just wasn't even required. Yeah, you cross maybe, the street where you want. Maybe you would need it in a situation where there were a lot of carriages that would go around, mm-hmm. like a structure for law enforcement or the fire department or something. But what we found is that even those few crosswalks that did exist were routinely and uniformly ignored by pedestrians. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it looks like chaos in the streets, doesn't it, like we were describing before. Uh, but but here's the thing. In the 1920s, you know, the, uh, I guess uh, cars, vehicle travel began to spread widely. A lot of people had cars at this point. Mm-hmm. And, of course, with the increase of cars, that brings along with it an unfortunate con- consequence when you get into a, a crowded, congested area, area like this in the city, and that's death. Of course, they would, and here's the, I guess maybe even the, the more troubling part of this whole thing is that often the victims of, of uh, these car pedestrian accidents were children or the elderly because those were people who tended to be kind of carefree in the streets, I guess. You know, the kids were playing games. The elderly were crossing without really looking. They were just, you know, they, they were accustomed to doing that their whole life. Now they're having to look out for these uh, these newfangled contraptions, you know, that are, that are blazing along at, at super high speeds of, you know, 10, 15 miles an hour. Right, right. <laughs> but very dangerous. Very yeah. dangerous. Extreme. I'm, I'm kind of poking fun at it, but the deaths in the streets, mm-hmm. they skyrocketed during this time frame. Yes. Skyrocketed is the correct word. You can 
trace from uh, 19 – uh, gosh, what would it be, 1906 or so? Yeah, 1906, 1907, somewhere in there. There were, what, like 500 deaths back then. Right. And then by – This is in all of the United States. This uh-huh. is, And we're talking about auto fatalities you know, between pedestrians and cars. Mm-hmm. And then by 1917, it had spiked to almost 9,000. Yeah, yep. And then by, we, by the time we get to 1923 – it's up around 15,500. So uh, you can tell it's a dramatic increase in what, what's that, just uh, 15 years, 16 years that we've, we've talked about there. And, um, I mean, it's, it's a direct correlation. I mean, the more cars in the city, more, more pedestrian deaths. That's yeah, just it's what happened. inarguable. The public response to these deaths was obviously outrage getting to the uh, level of a, of a public panic, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happened next? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And I'm Sarah Hart Unger, a mother of three, practicing physician, writer, and course creator. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. On the Best of Both Worlds podcast each week, we share stories of how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. We talk all things planning, time management, organization, and more. We share what's worked for us and our listeners as we're building our careers and raising our families. We're here to cheer you on as you figure out how to make your days even more amazing. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Listen to Best of Both Worlds every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern-day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver Airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math and Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
So here we are. It's still the 1920s. Not only is the public outraged, but they're calling for the end of the automobile or uh, intense regulation of the technology. Can I interrupt you for a second? Please do. All right. So remember, we've we've talked about Henry Ford so many times on this program. Yeah. Uh, he, as we said, you know, many, many times he had great guilt over creating this. Uh, he didn't create this machine over creating the affordable car because it put it in the hands of so many. Mm-hmm. And you know that he he had kind of like a mixed sensation about what he uh, what he had unleashed on the world. Really, I mean, in in that way, um, it wasn't that you know he invented the car. He didn't. He no. he did find a way to to put it into the hands of of just about everybody. I mean, anybody could afford a car practically, right? And uh, and and as we see, as the number of cars increase, the number of deaths increase. He also knew that you know cities were having more trouble than just that with the cars. You know, more trouble than just you know the pedestrian deaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're causing a lot of other troubles as well. So um, just to think back on that, you know, for for a while, you know, when you're talk, we're talking about this era, and yeah. understand you know what he might be going through too, like his uh, his internal turmoil, right? Because you know, at this point, the laws governing drivers are very much in an, uh, a, a nascent stage. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're listening to the show in 2017, friends and neighbors, then you probably remember uh, either you or if you have children, uh, your children had to take things like driver's ed courses. Or as Scott and I have talked about in the past, uh, you either maybe your parents or a family friend uh, took you out in a parking lot and and probably took the um the most beat up manual transmission car they had because that's what you want when you want someone to learn stick right <laughs> exactly yeah something uh you don't care if it's uh damaged a little bit you know it's going to have to go in for a clutch job anyways but not only did that that sort of um preparation not occur near as frequently in addition to this uh these cars were difficult to operate and unless you and I and anyone listening to this, in, unless we have already had the fortune slash misfortune to go and attempt to start a Model T, mm-hmm. you know, it's very difficult to imagine that any of us could just walk up to one and figure out how to start it. Oh, yeah. They were difficult to drive here, right? There was a lot of multitasking going on mm-hmm. behind the wheel uh, long long before cell phones, right? So it's a more complicated <laughs> machine yeah. with less training. Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge factor to this. There's another factor here, and I think this is something that Henry Ford probably thought of as well. Automobiles, even as they became more common, or less uncommon is a more fair word, even as automobiles became less uncommon – they were seen as novelties, as uh, rich boy toys. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And as a matter of fact, um, a lot of times pedestrians would call them violent intruders on the streets. Can you imagine that? I mean, the streets were for people at that time. That's that's how they viewed them. So uh, these violent intruders, which came in and uh, you know killed the children and elderly, as they saw it, um, that was quite a problem. So what were they going to do? They had to... Um, Find a way to make them them the bad guy, right? You're going to make the right. cars the bad guy. So the city started to erect these real prominent mo- uh, memorials for children that were killed in traffic accidents, and then you know newspapers would would cover the deaths in, in great detail, so that um, you know that all the gory details were involved in it. You know, it would kind of uh, you know really make the uh, the automobile driver look bad, no matter what the circumstance was. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you know we we see 
monuments to traffic accidents today. It's always a tragedy. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah, the roadside memorials things, you mm-hmm. know, like uh, the crosses on the highway. Yes, exactly. But for it to lead to this kind of anti-auto propaganda mm-hmm. is is strange. You know, you see headlines where it says, uh, "Nation roused against motor killings." Secretary Hoover's conference will suggest many ways to check the alarming increase of automobile fatalities with this huge broadsheet picture of an automobile, a gigantic automobile rolling over um, an avenue full of children with death at the wheel. Yeah, I mean it looks like the Grim Reaper's driving, right? Yeah, I mean, with a cape and everything. So, so they would characterize cars as death and make the car look very sinister, you know, make the people look like, you know, they were uh, just laying out on the street waiting to be hit. It was just, a, you know, a, it was a, a strange time um, in the media, I guess, as, as what they were trying to do to uh, – um, Create this uh, this push against the automobile coming into the cities, right? That, that's really what it was all about. It was trying to stop 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 them. It was uh, um, before um, you know these official. Tra- we talked about traffic laws being a little bit uh, you know brand new at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Well, brand new all around, really. So a lot of judges would rule that in any collision. Didn't matter what the situation was, the larger the vehicle was, the, the larger vehicle, I should say, which would be the car in a car pedestrian situation, sure. was at fault. Now, can you imagine that? The larger vehicle is always at fault no matter what. So if you get in, a, in an accident with a bus, it's the bus's fault. If you, uh, if you get in, of course, car pedestrian, car's fault, you know, et cetera. And they also ruled that um, if you act, if you killed somebody, no matter what the circumstance was, it was always um, complete. It was always manslaughter charges, right? Regardless of how it went down. Yeah. So, so it could be an accident that was never intended, but it was mm-hmm. it's a manslaughter charge automatically. And you can also see how during the mid twenties, this kicked into full swing. In 1925, Manhattan, there are already uh, an abundance of. You know, lots of Fords, honestly, and then you see some double-decker buses and stuff, but you still see a lot of people walking in the street. Yeah, so, okay, so that's that's the interesting part. Go to the mid-1920s and search, you know, 1925 city traffic Manhattan or something like that, you know, whatever you want to search to get these images, but you'll find that the streets are crowded with cars. And people. So it's kind of a, a, a mix of, of the two. Now, I've got to say that I think most of the crowd is definitely staying off to the side, but this is in Manhattan, wider city sidewalks, the one that we're looking at right in front of us. But yeah. um, there still are people in the streets, and I can't imagine walking down the street. This The street situation here looks like uh, looks like bad rush hour traffic. And uh, and and there are people right in the middle of it, crossing every which direction. I mean, it's it's again chaos. Right. And as these deaths mount, activists are searching for ways to slow it down, you know, and that's when we start to see different. Well, trying to slow down the cars and slow down the the, uh, the deaths, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's where we see these different approaches come into play. This is where we start to see a lot of the regulation uh, rear its head. In 1920, Illustrated World uh, had an article with the following argument which I'm going to quote in a 1920s voice. Every car should be equipped with a device that would hold the speed down to whatever number of miles stipulated for the city in which its owner lived. Mm. 
cartoonish voice aside. That's a governor. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how a, all governors sound. No, I meant that's a governor for the car. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, governor. <laughs> yes, that is. That's precisely what it is, Scott. It's the idea that no no matter – Yeah, I'm still chuckling over the fact that you thought I was saying <laughs> that that was a governor's voice. I thought you were telling me that was the quote from the governor. <laughs> I said, sure. Oh, that's going. funny. That's funny. Uh Oh, sorry, but, I interrupted. No, 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 no. It's it's an important point. No matter uh, how clearly the vehicle is yours, it has to be crippled essentially, yeah, to conform to the expectations of the city. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about the mid nineteen twenties. This came around as early as nineteen twenty three. Uh, said Norton. Remember Norton from earlier yeah, on yeah. Our, our podcast? He said that. Um, 42,000 Cincinnati residents signed a petition uh, for a ballot initiative that would require all cars to have a governor, limiting them to 25 miles per hour in the city. And uh, 42,000 people in, in Cincinnati. Now, I thought that was a huge number, and I thought, well, I mean, how many people lived in Cincinnati in 1923? So I looked it up, Yeah, and that's about 10% of the entire population. It was So it's not a huge number. It's, it's 1 in 10 thought that that was a good idea. But it's also... That's pretty good for a petition. Yeah, that's not bad for a petition, really. I mean, to get one out of ten of every resident in the city to sign that, that's pretty good. And then also, you know, I can see the other side of the argument, which is, well, it's our city. We are we are voting democratically, mm-hmm. so we should collectively get to make the rules. Yeah, uh, okay. I, I, I tend to favor more on the side of the, uh, the local auto dealers who decided – this is crazy. Oh yeah, they freaked out. Yeah, they of course panicked. they flipped out. They said, they said, well, why would we ever do that? How are we supposed to sell a car now? You know, because right. we're we're talking about, you know, we're usually talking about more power, more speed, more agility. You know, the the fun sense, the sense of uh, freeness in driving. Um, right. Just, yeah. I mean, you're trying to sell. You're selling the sizzle, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Just so. So how how do you, as an auto dealer, how can you? expect to successfully sell cars, each of which is very expensive to the average person, mm-hmm. right? A significant yeah. investment. When you also have to tell them that the car could go much faster but is not allowed to do so. What do you call it? The Cincinnati model? You know? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I guess if you live in the city limit, if you live in Cincinnati, you're limited to twenty five miles per hour. But if you're outside uh, you're, you're free to do whatever you want, right? You can have that unrestricted car, but you can't bring it into the city. That's the problem. And yeah. so that was the new thing is that, you know, they're saying, all right, well, if they're going to do this, then they're essentially keeping a lot of people outside of the city, right? You're not allowed to enter the city unless right. you have one of these governors in, in, installed. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's very restricting. So there were a, a new rash, I guess, of, of comics that came out, you know, uh, political not, not like political comics, but kind of like that. Yeah. With a political message. It was saying, um, you know, vote no on uh, on these new restrictions that you know these these groups are trying to install in your car because it's it's harmful for us, right? It's harmful for you, the and, consumer. And these were funded by auto dealers, who also, by the way, sent a letter to every single car owner in the city they could find. Mm-hmm. And in these depictions, there's there's a little bit of racism in it too, I would argue, but. In these depictions, they have proclamations like visitors to Cincinnati will be arrested if they do not have governors on their automobiles, which no one said. I think it was just a fine. Yeah, sure. And, you know, in these – just I have to point this out too. I mean they, they, they clearly cross out where it says, you know, welcome to our city, motorists, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then, the, you know, below that is a, a proclamation of the rules that now you have to follow. Right. And then also it was – I believe the proposal would require the automobile 
owners to buy the governor. So you would also be taking a bath on the expense of that. Yeah. Well, they were saying you might be fined or even jailed if you didn't have a governor at that time. So, you know, of course, the automakers and the, uh, the groups that are interested in, you know, motor traffic are going to be against something like this. And, and I think a lot of enthusiasts, even, you know, well, they'd be brand new enthusiasts at the time, uh, were upset about it. They didn't want this to happen. Right. And luckily, the measure failed, but it sent a message to different auto manufacturers, auto dealer groups across the country and let them know that this could be this could be trouble yeah, down this, the road. Yeah, this is coming. People are going to start uh, you know, either they're they're going to side up either way on this on this thing. They're going to say like we're no we're on the side of, you know, we do want them limited in our city. We want governors installed and uh the, you know the other side is going to be uh you know some of the guys that quite frankly are paying some of the uh, the city taxes, you know, the big auto dealers and of course people that live there that want to drive a car, they might move out of the city right. uh, so they can get an unrestricted vehicle. Um well, maybe not at that time. I don't know. Seems like in the 1920s that would be a little harder to do, maybe. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I could see where this would set up a uh, a real a real battle mm-hmm. in a lot of cities, a lot of big cities. Right, the lines are being drawn. Oh, sure, yeah. And so we will explore how crosswalks became a central theater of this war between auto owners and pedestrians after a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And I'm Sarah Hart Unger, a mother of three, practicing physician, writer, and course creator. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. On the Best of Both Worlds podcast each week, we share stories of how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. We talk all things planning, time management, organization, and more. We share what's worked for us and our listeners as we're building our careers and raising our families. We're here to cheer you on as you figure out how to make your days even more amazing. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Listen to Best of Both Worlds every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern-day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver Airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math and Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. 
or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Ben, when we left, we were going to talk about... um, how the, the, the crosswalk became kind of a theater. Mm-hmm. Now, now explain that to me. What do, you, what do you mean by theater? Oh, so in military terms, you will often hear a, a region described as the theater. Mm-hmm. So, you know, World War II, you would hear people talking about the actions in the Pacific theater. Sure. So we, we mean that sort of sense of theater, not you know your local community theater, which there's <laughs> nothing wrong with. I get you. I understand. <laughs> I understand. But you know what? A lot of what happened was actually theatrical. Agree. Yeah. yeah. So really maybe was. this works on multiple it, levels. I think it really does. I was, I was wondering where you were going with that, but I think, uh, I think it works on both sides. So it's uh, so a nice job. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right. So, so, so what happened was, you know, the idea would be that, you know, pedestrians were, were not or they should not be permitted to walk just wherever they want. Mm-hmm. You know, that was kind of the new push is that, um, you know, the, they couldn't do what they had done in the past. It wasn't that street fair type environment. And, um, there was a, new, I guess, new campaigns were pushed to to uh, mm-hmm. promote promote what the sidewalks were all about, what the what the uh, crosswalks were for, because a lot of people didn't really even know what crosswalks were for. I mean, they're starting to learn at this point by the mid nineteen twenties, for that's for sure. But um, they decided that you know they were going to, with uh, with a great amount of um, enthusiasm. Try to try to get this message across to uh, school children, so they knew it growing up, and along with those school children, you know, they would teach their their parents the same type of rules, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the kids would take the message back home to to the parents, and uh, and you know, slowly people started to understand that uh, the the sidewalks and the crosswalks are where the pedestrians should be in the city, and that's not all they did. They they attacked on all fronts, so. Auto industry groups also participated in meetings convened by Herbert Hoover, who then was the Secretary of Commerce, and they wanted to create a model traffic law that could be used by cities across the country due to their influence. And I'm going to go ahead and call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Due to their lobbying. Sure. Possibly yeah. bribery. <laughs> the product of those meetings was something called the 1928 Model Municipal Traffic Ordinance, and this was based off traffic law in L.A., which had had strict controls over behavior of pedestrians since 1925. Whoa, 1925. But you know what? It goes back even farther than this if you want uh, to set some kind of precedent for this whole thing, right? Because it goes back to Kansas City, who passed the very first city ordinance requiring people to to cross the streets at crosswalks, and that was back in 1912. So Mm -hmm. that goes back even farther. So, um, you know, again... By the 1920s, by the mid-1920s, this thing has really caught on. And, and you can see that, you know, it's spreading across the nation. Everybody's kind of uh, doing what they can to make sure that, you know, the, this uh, this battle between pedestrians and cars or car mm-hmm. owners, car sellers uh, doesn't spread to their city. Right. And the idea was just as Scott said, to educate 
every single pedestrian about the importance of crossing at a crosswalk. But how did they do that? They went about it in a bad way, right? They did it by <laughs> by shaming the pedestrians. Now, I don't like to use it. I don't like the shaming word. A lot of people throw around the word shaming, but this is exactly what they're doing uh, to the pedestrians, right? So, you know, these cartoons that we're looking at, these are these are pro automobile, mm-hmm. but anti pedestrian. A certain kind of pedestrian as well, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. You uh, you may remember at the beginning of the show we mentioned uh, pejorative terms, right? One of those was pleasure car, mm-hmm. which is a term that pedestrians and journalists used when they thought cars were just toys of the wealthy. There's another term, and I'm not sure how best to introduce this, uh, Scott, because you see what happened is originally – the auto manufacturers and dealers and the auto industry groups got access to federal meetings, right, and crafted laws and had those laws distributed to different cities, but they found a pretty big problem. The laws would be on the books, but no one would enforce it, Mm -hmm. and the cops and judges didn't really care either, so they had to take up some other strategies, which meant kind of fighting dirty. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. They had to kind of shape the news coverage to um, make the accidents seem even worse than they really were, I guess, maybe, or or make them seem as if every one of them was the pedestrian's fault. Right. And that was the the the, uh, the slant here, I guess, you know, the, the angle. Even when so, it wasn't. So, so the National Automobile Chamber of Commerce, which was an industry group, established something that they called a, a – it's a free wire service. And if, if you know what a wire service does for newspapers, uh, they take they take raw information, they create a story, and they send it back out, right? They distribute it as they, as they need to. So this wire service for uh, newspapers, these reporters would send the basic details of a traffic accident from their small town or city. You know, even if it was a big city, they could send it in. And they would in return get this r- complete article that was ready to print the next day, you know, ready something ready to go out. So it was print ready. Mm-hmm. It was nice for them, right? But the articles, and, and these were printed everywhere, not just in the small city that, you know, they came from, they originated from, but everywhere. So you'd, you'd learn about neighboring cities as well. Um, the blame for the accident, no matter what the situation was, would always be shifted toward the pedestrian. It was always the pedestrian's fault in the in the uh, the news stories that would come out from this agency. So um, the idea was that it would say, "Well, you know, what? we've been talking about these uh, these these pedestrian laws. Look how important they are, because here's what's happening." Right, and then they also took propaganda to the kids. Yeah, yeah. We mentioned schools before. They kind of we went did. at them with uh, with a. Uh, I don't know, a, a sense of urgency, right? Because th- that's how you, you kind of bring people up their whole life, understanding right. that, uh, you know, I guess we've heard this recently too, indoctrination, right? They're trying to indoctrinate the idea into the children that, um, you know, the streets aren't for playing. They're not for crossing anywhere but the, the crosswalks. That's, this is how it is. It's always been this, not always been this way, but this is the way it has to be now. And it absolutely worked. Uh, we have one, very strange example of this. Uh, It is also a little theatrical, Scott. Mm -hmm. In 1925, hundreds of school kids in Detroit watched the quote-unquote trial of a 12-year-old who was on trial for crossing the street unsafely, and a jury of the kids' peers sentenced him. Oh, brother. To what? To clean chalkboards for a week. They sentenced him? Yes. So, oh, so this is a mock trial, right? Yeah. But you know, do you know who ran this trial? Who? Yeah, AAA of all places. I mean, that's the uh, American Automobile Association, and uh, and of course, I think they were with 
other groups as well, you know, kind of uh, funding this type of thing. But, you know, these are school-sponsored safety campaigns and, and poster contests. They've uh, it just, again, they made this like a uh, – um, a real push. I mean, kind of. You know what it reminds me of a lot, and I've seen this el- elsewhere too. It reminds oh. me of the anti-drug campaigns that were happening in the 1980s. It's like everybody jumped on board with that stuff. Oh, like McGruff, the yeah, crime I mean, dog. Well, there's McGruff, and there was, uh, you know, there were there were um, after-school specials. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, you got uh, Nancy Reagan talking about it. You uh-huh. know, to uh, the, the nation's children. Uh, to well, to the nation, really. I mean, to everybody. And it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just that there's this tremendous push for this thing to happen. Mm-hmm. And and that's exactly what was happening with with this this uh, traffic infraction for pedestrians back in the 1920s. And it goes on because. They had this idea that they could also publicly, as as Scott mentioned, shame people, right? Mm -hmm. So these auto groups asked police to publicly shame transgressors, embarrass them, whistle, shout at them. If they're a woman, pick them up and carry them back to the sidewalk. Can you believe that? Which is just humiliating. It is, yes. Instead of just writing them a ticket or reprimanding them. And then – they staged these – they call them safety campaigns. Mm-hmm. But it's more like guerrilla theater where they had actors dressed in 19th century clothes or as clowns yeah. and then make a big deal about crossing the street illegally. <laughs> they would have safety parades too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where it was an actual parade in the street and they would have a uh, a clown – kind of stumbling along in front of a Model T and the Model T was just repeatedly ramming the guy who was in front of him because he wasn't following, you know, the rules. He wasn't on the sidewalk where he was supposed to be. It's so weird, man. And yeah. then, and now we get to one of the strangest parts of this and one of the most successful parts of this campaign. They decided to also wage war in terms of language. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so they decided to name the infraction, and uh, and the way that they did that was they took a uh, a term at the time that meant something. Uh, oh, again, it was a pejorative term, as you said, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a is a word uh, J, and the word J at that time uh, meant something like a rube or a hick. You know, somebody mm-hmm. from the sticks, somebody that uh, that had no understanding of how you know this big city works. A country mouse. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it. Good, it's a country mouse. So yeah, a rube or a hick. You know, someone who just didn't understand. The way of the world, the way that the the big city worked, and the way the automobile traffic should flow in a city, right? right. So, so that's the word J, right? J is like you know somebody who's out from the sticks, and uh, and they attached it to you know walking. So you're you're a J walker, right? I mean, so J walker meant like you're just a, a stupid walker, really, essentially. Yeah, that's what that meant. It's your fault. Yeah, and then of course once that term kind of came around, then everybody said, well, I'm not a J walker, you're a J driver. And they started attaching it to <laughs> other things, right? Meanwhile, guess, there were probably a few people who really were named Jay and were thinking, man, this is just <laughs> not my not my time. Yeah, isn't it weird? So, so Jay actually has some kind of meaning in this whole thing. So jaywalker, I've kind of wondered where that term came from. Me too. It's weird um, when you think about it. But, but the anti-jaywalking campaign really took off. I mean, it made a it made a huge difference in the way people viewed pedestrian traffic in, on city streets. And, um, I mean, it was it was successful, very successful. I mean, we look at the way that the term, the use of the term, you know, there are charts that uh, can show us the use of the word in, uh, you know, print and media. Right. And uh, the, you can look at a chart that shows, you know, the word uh, jaywalking, how it increases extremely steep during the 1920s, and it, and it carries on. I mean, we still use the term today. It's, it's a popular word even now. 
in uh, in print and other forms of media. Yeah, I still use it. It's it's a it's it's kind of it's not it's not a bad word. It's not um, I guess it's kind of a mean word initially. It's kind of lost its meaning though. I think. I mean, we we see it as somebody who crosses not at the crosswalk. But we don't think of that as like, you know, you're calling somebody a rube or a hick, right, <laughs> when you say it. Yeah, you don't – I don't think most people would know the history of this because I, I certainly had no idea, mm-hmm. you know. And it's – yeah, I, I think it's good that it's lost a lot of its pejorative thing. It's one of those many minor infractions that we all think is just sort of strange. Yeah. Not not – not always enforced or seldom enforced. And, and I'm I'm guilty of it sometimes. I've done it occasionally, right? I've, I've jaywalked. I and mean, I think everybody has at some point. You know, you have to cross the street to get to the bookstore that's over there and you're parked right across. But, you know, to get to the corner, you'd have to walk, you know, half a block that way, cross the street and walk half a block back when it's right, right there. So you cross the street right where you are. A lot of people are guilty of that. Some places you can't do it because, you know, the median's built up in some way or the traffic is so – uh, heavy or intense that you can't do that. I understand that too, but um, you know, it's strange. What's really strange to me is that you know this this word that did come from something mean spirited. You know, j- jaywalking was a mean spirited word to begin with. That uh, law enforcement agencies and uh, and and our law itself picked up that word as um, as that's that's the standard. That's what we call this. It's a jaywalking offense, and we just have never let go of it. I mean, I, I'm surprised that they didn't create a new term. That was something that was, you know, a little, uh, a little milder, I guess, at the time. Yeah. You know, it didn't hold such power at the time. Because now it doesn't, re- like we said, it doesn't really mean a whole lot right now to say the word jaywalker. But that's probably why it's so successful. It's become, it, it's emerged as one of the survivors from this strange, uh, strange conflict in American history. And, you know, when we're talking about the graph where you can see the evolution of it, there's this really cool thing that Google Books has called Ngram Viewer. Have you heard of this? Yeah, I, I've seen I've seen Ngrams, but I've never used Ngram. All it all it is, and it's just capital N, like uh, North, and then Gram. All, all it is is this program where you can type in a word, and then over the past century or so, it shows you the frequency of use. Oh, okay. And so we see that definite spike that you were talking about, Scott, uh-huh. and it looks like it's plateauing and it's just going to stay as a word in our language. It's going to be it's going to be one of those things where um, it's going to be one of those things like the save option on Microsoft Word right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? We I, all click I, on it. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you're talking about exactly because we've t- we've had this discussion at our desk before. Yeah. Um it's the uh it's the floppy disk, isn't it? Yeah, but Oh man, I'm going to say it. Kids these days don't know that. No, no one knows what a floppy disk is now. But with, yeah, the icon for save is a floppy disk, and and I guess unless you're a certain age, and that's probably even forty plus mm-hmm. <laughs> around there. I'm going to guess, uh, maybe even maybe a little bit younger. But uh, you you likely don't even know what a floppy disk is. But yeah, I think you're right. It's one of these words that's going to just kind of hang on, and no one's really going to understand the meaning of it. Or I, and I didn't know the meaning of it. I didn't know that it had you know this this kind of uh, angry start. You know, it, it, I mean, it, just you just never think of where a word comes from, really, until until you hear it 
you know, kind of drawn out like this. You know, why is that? But it was a very successful campaign. Very Absolutely, successful. inarguably. Yeah, sure. I mean, it completely changed the way people think about the streets and who, I guess, who kind of, should we say, owns them, maybe? Yeah. Uh, who belongs there, who doesn't belong there. And this concludes our story on the strange tale of how jaywalking actually became a crime. Before we go, Scott, I do have to ask, would you say that overall this is a good thing? What's a good thing? That it's a crime? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree that it's a good thing. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that because oh, – So you agree. Oh, yeah, oh. 100%. Okay. And you know, we see a lot of cities now passing different laws governing what sort of transportation can be used in a city, especially mm-hmm. a lot of European cities are very big into that. I don't know if that's going to end up happening in the, in the United States, but I for one am very fortunate that – I don't have a governor switch required on my vehicle. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I guess the speed limit is sort of a governing thing, but it's us governing the vehicle. No, it's not. It's not a uh, device governing. You know, you have to do that, you know, it's your own free will. Right. So, you know, here's here's the thing about jaywalking, though. I mean, when I say that I'm glad it's a, a crime, all I mean is that it. You're not supposed to do it. It's against the law. But if you surprise a motorist by popping out from in between a couple of cars, that's, yeah. that's terrifying to somebody behind the wheel of a car. I mean, uh-huh. I'm, I'm teaching my daughter how to drive right now, and it's one of the things that I, I warn her about in parking lots, even on small city streets, is that you've always got to be ready for that pedestrian to come out of nowhere, that kid to run out after the ball or, you know, dog or whatever. But um, – it is terrifying when somebody kind of emerges from somewhere that, you know, they weren't there half a second ago. Just and now they're there. And yeah, right there, then you're, they're close enough to, you know, make contact with your mirror suddenly. Uh, so that's a little bit scary. Uh, so hopefully, you know, people are paying attention to the jaywalking laws and are, you know, still crossing at the crosswalk. I try to as much as I can, like I said. But, you know, one thing I want to mention here, one, one city that is doing a pretty interesting thing to combat this. What's that? Is, uh, is Las Vegas. You've been to Las Vegas. I don't oh, know yeah. how much you've seen of this, but, yeah. um, you know, they have a lot of traffic on the main strip. Uh-huh. Uh, but what they, they've done a couple of things. First of all, they have a couple of intersections that have, you know, an escalator and then a, a bridge system that crosses all four corners, right? Yeah. So you don't have to cross. You, you can, I think, but you don't have to cross at the crosswalk down at the street level. Um, I think I think maybe there's some that you can't and some that you can do do both. Um, the other the other thing that they're doing is that in the medians, there's a, a little green strip, you know, a um, – uh, small, just a really small area. It's not even wide enough for a car or anything. It's just got maybe one row of plants or trees or right. something. And to prevent people from going from side to side on those streets, they have to go to the crosswalks. They, they've built uh, fences in that area as well. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. So it makes it even more difficult to get over. So you have to, you know, not only climb up this uh, this this concrete, you know, short wall, like maybe a two foot wall, and then over a fence, and then you know, back over the wall, and then across another four lanes of traffic. I mean, it would make it yeah. really, really hard. I've seen people trying. To get across that thing, you know, because they don't want to walk down to the next corner and then back. And it's irritating. But it's it, psychologically irritating it to is. know that you have to take this circuitous route. It takes a long time to walk anywhere in Las Vegas. But they're doing they're doing uh, a good job. And you know, the, right now there are a lot of people who are arguing that cracking down on jaywalking is not the answer, and that better design the roads, mm-hmm. just like these medians you're mentioning, uh, is the correct solution. Well, you know what? I, I think that the, the, the solution is somewhere in the middle on this. I think that you know we need better designed roads. We need better designed intersections and crosswalks, things like that. But we also need to, uh, like I said, I mean, use your use your head when you're crossing the street. Don't don't jump out from in front of a city bus 
and expect you know no one to be there because that's a regular lane of traffic. That's uh, that somebody might be going by at forty five miles an hour. Or, or and hear me out. Technology is not quite there yet. Or we all have like armored exoskeletons. <laughs> you know, like I would Iron love, Man style. I, I would love an exoskeleton. I think if I could have any, is that a superpower? Because, uh, you know, people say they'd like to fly, they'd like to be invisible, whatever. I'd like to have an exoskeleton, I think. The, the problem is when you crack that exoskeleton. Would it be mechanical or like a... Uh, no, I mean like part of me. Like, uh, like, an, like you know how like an ant can fall <laughs> forever, oh, yeah. forever and just land and, and walk away? Oh, wow. I would love that. Top of a building, just jump off your street level, you just walk away. That's your pick? You'd uh, also be super strong. Uh, yeah, that'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? But um, is, that, is that a superpower? I guess it's a superpower, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. it would be a superpower. Yeah. Uh, and it would make you the king of crosswalks. You know what? I never thought of the Iron Man suit thing. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. DARPA's I mean, doing that now. Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Well. It'd be heavy. I want it part of me. You know, I like yeah. no extra weight. Don't you think that would get awkward, though, when you're just going about your day-to-day stuff, <laughs> like you're pumping gas? I think it would be that would be difficult to maneuver, I think, yeah. And you wouldn't know your own strength. You'd mess up the pump. Oh, that's true. Well, it would be there would be a learning curve for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, and this might be an episode for another day because I think we both have pretty strong opinions about uh, superpowers that we would have. And I think our super producer, Tyler, has powers, too. He's about to chime in on the mic, uh, which means it is time for us to go. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We'd like to hear your opinion on the relationship between pedestrians and drivers and how it should change or how it should remain the same. Uh, in the meantime, you can find Scott, Tyler, and I on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find every episode of every show we have ever done on our website, carstuffshow.com. And if you'd like to clue us in on a topic that you think your fellow listeners would enjoy, we'd love to hear from you. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, I'm Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And I'm Sarah Hart Unger, a mother of three, practicing physician, writer, and course creator. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. On the Best of Both Worlds podcast each week, we share stories of how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Listen to Best of Both Worlds every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) As a high school student. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like (laughs) Change.Dork. Change.Dork. And congratulations. You played yourself. Congratulations. You played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.